Well, good morning to you all. Uh, my name is, uh, as Mark said a moment ago, uh, Eric Lipscomb, and I serve uh, as a pastor for college students uh, in New York City with uh, RUF, Reformed University Fellowship at Columbia University. Uh, it's a great privilege to be here with you, uh, people young and old. I sort of only hit 18 to 22-year-olds normally, so it's, it's, it's awesome to, to be with a, a wider range of, uh, of, of folks today. Uh, and happy Father's Day to you as well who are, who are dads. Um, now, I imagine uh, many of you have maybe never heard of RUF before, so uh, I figured I would just sort of share with you uh, what RUF is very, just a moment. And the way I just sort of, I'll describe to you the way I describe it to our students every week when we gather for worship on campus. And that is that uh, RUF, we're just a community of people who are wanting to learn more about Jesus, most simply. Uh, for some of us, that means we are committed uh, to our faith in Jesus and want to grow and develop in that. For others, that means we're exploring the claims of Christianity, uh, maybe even for the first time. Uh, but wherever uh, you are at and wherever those folks are at, we, we love to have them in our community because we believe there's no question too big um, and no concern too small that we can't bring it before God. And so that's really what we do every week. We bring our questions, our concerns, um, our curiosities, our longings, our doubts, our fears, and we bring them to God as we look at Scripture. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Uh, we're going to look uh, a little bit from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so uh, if you uh, are so inclined, I'd invite you to read along with me um, this passage, uh, Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. It's in uh, your pew Bible on page 980, uh, or it's in your bulletin as well. Um, so I'll read this for us, and then I'll pray. Uh, here, the, uh, the, the reading of God's Word. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Uh, friends, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word remains forever. Uh, would you pray with me now as we look to God's word? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has not remained silent, but has spoken through your word, um, and who speaks to us even now uh, by your Holy Spirit. We pray that as we come to your word, uh, you would give us insight. Uh, would you give us uh, hearts that are softened and ears uh, that are quick to hear? We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so I moved about four, a little over four years ago uh, to New York City to start our work uh, with college students there. And about the time we moved, uh, the most popular song on the radio was a song called Happy. It's by the musician Pharrell. Um, some of you who are younger, have, um, if you've turned on your radio in the last four years, you've probably heard it. Uh, if you're not, though, it, it's sort of just this very catchy anthem. Uh, it's very upbeat, it's very peppy, and Pharrell is singing about how Great happiness is, and he's, he's encouraging us to clap along if you feel that happiness is the truth. Um, if you know this is what is real, you know, and it's just, it's just this giddy, uh, sort of song that, that it's actually part of the, um, the soundtrack to the, the cartoon, uh, Despicable Me 2, these little yellow minions running around. So it's, it's very mirthy and, and fun and giddy. Uh, and, and, and I was sort of struck as I was moving to New York by this song. 
Uh, because I think it's sort of this modern anthem for us that, that there is actually this abundance of fleeting pleasure at, available to us at our fingertips. Right? That there, the transient happiness sort of abounds around us everywhere. And yet as I started sort of comparing that song with what I saw around me, it seemed that there was this, this, yes, there was this great excess, this great, you know, opportunities for transient pleasure. But where was the deep and abiding sense of contentment that we long for? Right, or, or, or a sense of, of joy that isn't just fleeting, that isn't just tied to good circumstances, but a sense of joy that lasts. And, 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 and the more I thought about it, the more it seemed that the, you know, transient happiness may abound, but the presence of deep joy is not terribly common. Right, and maybe some of you here today can relate with that feeling. Right? Maybe you're here today and you're just feeling disappointed with parts of your family, with your work situation. Or maybe you've been watching the news and are just frustrated with the way of the world and the way things are going right now. Right? Maybe you're just bored. Maybe your, your boredom sort of uh, shows itself in the way you mindlessly scroll through social media or your phone or use technology. Or maybe you're, just, maybe you're a little bit discontent. Whatever it is, right, there can be the sense that we are lacking deep and abiding joy. And yet, what Paul wants to show us in this passage, is that in the message of Christianity, in the gospel, joy abundant is offered to us. And it's important to know that Paul is writing this letter. He's not writing it from the beach. He's not writing it from his cushy office. But he's actually writing it from a Roman jail cell. And yet over and over, the tone is one of overflowing joy. Right, that if you read the, bowl, the whole book of Philippians, he is the theme of, of joy in, in God is, is readily apparent over and over again. And so in these verses, we get a sense of what it means for our joy to grow and abound. Now, how does that happen? Well, I think, you know, as, as sort of good, uh, you know, Westerners or Americans, we can think of like pursuing our joy as this sort of very personalized individual thing. This is something I do as I pursue my interests, as I pursue my own passions. But what Paul wants to say is that your joy is actually bound up in and with other people. But and 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 so to, just to start, let me try to illustrate that by way of a, of a brief contrast. So uh, my first year of college, the Rolling Stones showed up in our little college town to put on us um, a concert at our football stadium. And so I didn't have tickets, but I ended up scalping tickets for like twenty-one dollars and uh, went called my roommate. We ran over to the stadium. We got in, we sort of finagled our way onto the floor uh, and spent the last three quarters of the concert singing our lungs out uh, with 61,000 other fans enjoying this amazing concert. It's, it's, it was this remarkable memory that we still reminisce about to this day. Right? This is an amazing, joyful experience together with all these people. Right? But now imagine that, that same scene, right? The same band is playing, this epic band, the same set list, same music, except that I'm by myself. And I walk in to the stadium, and instead of 61,000 people, there are only like 500 people there, and they're sort of scattered around all sitting by themselves. Right now, I'm sure that would still be pretty fun. It's the Rolling Stones, right? But it would be a totally different experience. Right? There's no way it could be as nearly as joyful, right? The same band, the same set list, totally different experience, right? Because the other people in there, somehow my joy is bound up with sharing this with them. And notice what Paul, how he starts. This is sort of what he's, some of what he's trying to get at he, right at the start. I thank my God, verse 3, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, 
making my prayer with joy. Right? Paul is, is writing to his friends at this church. He's saying, my joy is because of you. I am full of joy in you. Right? That, that every time he prays, this deep joy and deep gratitude comes out. But right? every time he's thinking about them, this sort of smile just spreads across his face. Right? And, and what he's, he's, some of what he's getting at, the joy is not just this personal endeavor. It's not just an individual assignment. It is a group project. And that Christian community is really the, the context for which our joy will grow. It is the rich soil that our joy will flourish out of. And so how does that happen? Well, I'm just going to look at two things today. Um, the way we find joy, we find joy in others through their work of love and then through God's work of love. So we find wor- our joy in others through their work of love and then ultimately through God's work of love. So first, we find joy in others, what Paul's going to say, is through their work of love. And, and as we've already noted, he, he begins by saying, look, we have found joy together. My joy is in you. But then look at verse 5. I have, I've had this joy. I make this prayer of the joy because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now. Now, now, what, is, what does that mean? Well, that, you know, it's sort of easy to sort of gloss over this word partnership. Uh, but in other translations, it'll be uh, rendered as fellowship uh, based on the, the, the word that's used there in Greek. And, and I don't know about you, but when I hear the word sort of fellowship or partnership uh, in Christian contexts, if, if you've ever heard that, uh, it, it can be this sort of fairly watered down kind of uh, concept. Like it, it's sort of maybe what you say to your, you know, to Mark or your pastor or whoever when you're trying to sort of justify like you're hanging out with other friends, you know. Like, did you guys go to the movie last weekend? Yeah, oh, it was a really good time of fellowship. Like, and I mean, you know, here, like it, it is okay to just hang out, by the way. You know, you don't have to sort of over-spiritualize going to see Incredibles 2. Like you can just go and enjoy that and, and have fun. It's great. But the type of fellowship, the type of partnership that Paul is talking about here isn't necessarily less than that, but it is actually much deeper. It is much more than just hanging out together. Right? That what Paul is talking about, this partnership, is, a, is people who are significantly invested in a common endeavor. Right? He is saying we are significantly invested together in this common endeavor, taking the life-giving message of Jesus to the world right? and of, of extending his love to one another and to others. So Paul is saying, look, we have, guys, we have been on mission together. We have been blessed by our mutual experience of Jesus' love for us, and we have been blessed by the ways in which we have served one another. Right now, how have they served one another? Well, in verse 5, Paul mentions that he has been with them from the first day until now. And he's almost certainly referring to the fact that Paul was there when that church was started. That if you read Acts 16, you see this really neat story that Paul is, goes to the cities led by God to go there and to start this church. And he, the first week he's there, he meets a woman named Lydia, and he tells her about Jesus, and she becomes a Christian. She hears the gospel, she comes to faith, and then she starts running the church out of her house. And so later Paul is there, and he is beaten and jailed for what he is doing. And then and we come to sort of the passage that Leslie read earlier in Acts 16. Paul and Silas have been thrown in jail, and yet what are they doing? They're singing. Right? They're sitting in, in chains, singing hymns to God. And while they're doing that, there's an earthquake. And this earthquake happens, and the, their chains fall off, and they're free to go. And the jailer, as this happens, he wakes up, he sees all the doors swung open, and he thinks, oh no, I'm done. My honor is ruined. And he's going to fall on his sword. And Paul cries out, no, wait, stop, we are all here. We have not left. The jailer gets the lights, he says, oh my goodness, what would compel you not to, to leave? But who is this God you were singing about? And then that night, he was baptized. 
Right? That, that Paul's work of love was shown to this jailer. It was shown to this entire community in the past. But then all of a sudden, Paul is referring to how the tables have turned. Right? Their, Paul's work of love was amazing for them in the past, but now they are cel- he is celebrating their work of love in the present to him. That, that, that Paul has now gone away and gone to, to share the gospel with other churches, and yet the Philippians have continued to support him financially. Right? They've continued to meet his financial needs. They've sent emissaries to Rome to be with him while he is in prison. And so for years, the Philippians and Paul have been committed partners in this gospel, in the, in the bringing the message of God and bringing the love of God to the world. Right? And the byproduct of that continued partnership is his joy, is their joy together. And so the question for us, I think, is what would it look like for us? What would it look like for Grace Church to be or to continue to be a community that is known for our work of love? Like, how could we continue to move more and more in that direction? And Paul wants to say, well, it's rooted in some place. In verse 7, it is rooted in the fact that we are partakers of this grace of God. He says, you are all partakers with me of grace. Right? That word partakers, literally co-partners, the same, same root word in Greek. You are co-partners. That He's saying, my joy and your joy is all legitimate because we have first received God's grace. That we have experienced the love of Jesus together. And now we are extending that love together as well to up to one another and to the rest of the world. And so what might it look like for us to be people who are known for our work of love? Well, it might look something as simple as, you know, going, entering into the potential awkwardness of a conversation with your neighbor. That person you've always seen and waved to and never said hi to, right? To maybe just walk across the street and go talk to them. Or maybe it means giving up a Friday night to babysit for a young family. Or to visit somebody who uh, is, is widowed or, or lives by themselves. Or to spend time with them. Or maybe it would it'd look like starting or, or increasing your giving to your church or to other charitable causes. But maybe it's even just something as simple to reach out to a friend who you haven't talked to in a while. To ask them how they're doing, to encourage them, maybe to, to, to express how you've seen God working in their life. Right? Things like this, people who have experienced the love of God, who then extend it to one another. Right? Sort of comprise what I've called a, a thick gospel community. Uh, my students kind of make fun of me because I use that language, thick community. But I think it's a helpful, because it, it's sort of opposed to a thin community, one of just sort of shallow affinity. And when I think about a thick community, I sort of think of those, like, um, if you've ever seen those brawny paper towel commercials, uh, you know, they, they, there's, like, the, the store brand and then there's brawny, right? They, they both soak up the blue liquid, and the store brand, they, like, put a marble on it, and it just, like, falls right through. But the brawny paper towel, you know, even when it's soaked, it can hold, like, a bowling ball. Right? There, there's nothing that's breaking it. It is, you know, it is durable, it's thick, it doesn't disintegrate under stress. And what Paul is saying, though, is that as co-partners in Jesus' love, that our work of love should develop this sort of thickness to our community. Right? That we're not just communities of, the church is not just a community of shallow affinity where we're, where we gather because we look alike or we live near each other, we like the same music, we root for the same sports teams. Right? There's nothing wrong with that, but this partnership in the gospel ought to, uh, result in this thick community of shared love and mutual service. Right? That we are people who bear one another's burdens together and we rejoice in delighting together, and that, that even among people with deep differences, we would have this mutual joy as we work and work out the love of God together. And so we find joy in our work, uh, we find joy in others through their work of love. 
But also, I think, even greater, right, that this experience is actually supposed to be a sign uh, that points us to a deeper reality. Uh, and if you look on the, I believe, the front of your bulletin, you have a quote from the German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And, uh, and in his book, Life Together, uh, Bonhoeffer puts it, puts it this way, puts this, this sentiment of, of, of how the love of a, a friend, the love of a, a family member points us to this greater reality. Here's what he says. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian in exile sees the companionship of a fellow Christian, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. Visitor and visited in loneliness recognize each other, the Christ who is present in the body. They receive and meet each other as one meets the Lord in reverence, humility, and joy. Right? Bonhoeffer is saying that in others' works of love, in this compassionate presence of a friend, or that you have the sign that points to God's ongoing work of love in the world. And really, that is the entire story of the Bible. Right? That the, the God who has existed from eternity past in perfect communion within himself chose to extend his love by creating the universe and by creating humanity in his image and in his likeness. And if you read Genesis 1 through, 1 through 2 and you go back, you look at, God is looking at all his creation and saying, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he looks at Adam, and he has no partner. And he says, it is actually not good that Adam is alone. Everything is good except Adam's joy is lacking. And so Adam has this relational longing, and so God creates Eve. And when they come together, when they meet for the first time, what do you see? You see Adam busting out into poetry, right? this expression of pure joy. And, 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 and what this sort of illustrates is that the fact that we are relational creatures comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. Right? We are made in the image of a loving relational God. And our longings for that point us back to him. They point us to a God whose work of love is ongoing. Right? And notice even just reading this passage, notice who Paul is appealing to throughout. Right? Paul is an incredibly accomplished missionary who has built churches all over the ancient world. Notice who he's looking to and giving credit to the entire time. Right? Verse 3, I thank God for the Philippians. Right? He's not saying... Man, we did this together. We're really awesome. He's saying, I thank God I'm giving you the credit for the work you have done. And then in terms of his confidence for what is going to actually sustain this work, you see him giving that in verse 6. The one who began this work, and you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That Paul has this utmost confidence that as surely as God started this work, he is going to continue it in their lives. You know, the Philippians don't just happen to be like, nice, compassionate people by disposition. Right? He's saying that their work of love is a result of God's work of love that he has began in them. Right? They're not just sort of happy-go-lucky people. That The joy they have comes from the God who began a work in their lives. That God is the hero of this story and our, their confidence rests in him. Right? And then, and then in, even in verse 8, right, he's saying, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you with this affection. And the, the word affection doesn't mean just sort of like the warm fuzzies you get when your crush walks in the room. Right here it is referring to this deep and internal passion. Right now, what, is that, what does that look like? Well, I, was, I was thinking about that and, and the fact that today is Father's Day. Uh, and I was reminded of a song from the recent uh, musical Hamilton. Uh, in the middle of the show, there's a song called Dear Theodosia. And it's sort of like this break from all the uh, you know historical and political... Uh, uh, history that, that, that it's giving. And, and what's happened is that both, uh, Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, uh, have had children. Uh, Burr's had a daughter, and Hamilton has had a son. 
And they stop to just reflect on their love for their children. And they start singing their love over their children. And so um, Burr starts and he sings about his daughter. And then, and then Hamilton uh, gets to his part. Here's what, he, here's what he says about his son. Right? Just, just this sort of moving ballad of admiration. He says, Philip, when you smile, I am undone. My son. Look at my son. Pride is not the word I'm looking for. It is something so much more. Right? It's this beautiful song. And, and in it, that Hamilton can hardly find the words to express the deep affection he has for his son, the deep affection, the deep love and joy he has in the presence of his son. And the amazing thing about the message of Christianity, of the gospel, is that what it says is that God actually takes that kind of delight in you, in us. Right? That, that, that God delights in you immensely. He enjoys you. He sings his unconditional love over you. Right? That is the affection that he has for you in Christ Jesus. And if you think about just the story of the Bible, what I think makes this so wonderful is that shortly after that joyful exclamation that Adam had made, right, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He and his wife, they go on to betray God. They go on to run away from him and to throw the world into utter chaos. Right, that, that their sin, their, their rebellion against God it wrecks God's good creation, wrecks what he intended. And so now that even we feel the effects of that, we are subject to loneliness, to the disconnect from God and from others. Right? We see and experience violence and pain. Right? The, the, now the world is not as God intended it to be. And yet God never runs away from his creation. He never quits loving his people. Right? That, that, that yes, there is, a, there is culpability for our lack of love. Right? That the reality is that my, my selfishness has brought discord also into God's once perfect world. Right, that our disdain for people who don't look like us, our disdain for people who aren't as funny or as attractive or as educated as we are, actually does harm to others. It does harm to God and his world. But in the greatest work of love that the world has ever seen, God doesn't let that go. Instead, he takes that punishment due to us because of that and puts it on his son, Jesus. That Jesus, after coming and living this perfect life, dies the death that we deserve in order that we could restore, he could restore loving relationship with God. Right, this is what we're seeing about, I believe in God the Father, I believe in the Son, right, I believe in the resurrection, right, this renewal of creation which is coming because of what Jesus has done, because of his life and death and resurrection. Right, and that is the affection that God has for you, that he would rather have his Son die for you than, than to let you be alienated from him any longer. And Paul is saying, I have experienced that. You have experienced that. We have experienced this love together. And this is what is on offer to you in the gospel. And so if you get that, then what is, what is the result? What well, is this sort of abundant, again, sense of love? My prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. It is that your love would, begin again, continue to abound. It's not that you didn't have love before, but it's that it would grow in expression. It's that when you have a full sense of God's love for you, for the, what Jesus has done, that it is actually what enables you to do the hard work of loving those who are hard to love. That it is what it, it propels you towards 
those who are lost and lonely. That your love isn't, you're not just getting your arm twisted into going across and talking to your neighbor. That there's something that about the God who has, has sought you when you were lost that says, man, I, it presses you to uncomfortable situations. It presses you into places where you might not otherwise go. And you would be filled with this fruit of the Spirit, this love and joy and peace that surpasses understanding that comes from knowing the love of Jesus for you. Well, let me just conclude briefly with, with this. Um, you know, I said earlier that I work with college students, and uh, a number of my students are around in, uh, in New York this summer working for various labs uh, doing research. And I, I am no scientist, uh, but my understanding is that uh, some, of, some of them are bio majors, and what they're doing is they're growing uh, cultures of bacteria to, to study. And, uh, you know, when you do this, uh, you have to make sure that the environment is just right so that the bacteria will grow, right? If it's, if it's too warm... Uh, or too cold, or, or there's like too much light coming in, uh, the, the bacteria you want will not grow properly. And then, you know, the professor gets mad at them for messing up their experiment. Uh, right? You, you need the proper context for growth. Right? And that is actually true for our joy as well, that I think what Paul wants us to see is that the proper context for our joy and for its growth is in the Christian community, is in the church, the people of God, that, that in one another's work of love we would experience joy, and that, that ultimately would point us to the work of God and His love. Friends, this is a group project. This is not your individual assignment to go do on your own. And my hope is that we would be a thick community where our joy grows as we humbly receive and experience the grace of Christ and embody His love out and among the world. Uh, let me pray for us as we call it. God, we thank you that um, even when our circumstances are really terrible, uh, like Paul sitting in prison, um, you still offer us deep and abiding joy um, that is much greater than uh, the fleeting pleasure that, that much of the world can offer us. God, I pray that you would give us each a sense of that. I pray that as we uh, enjoy life in community together, um, we would get a deeper sense of your joy. And I pray that uh, having a deep sense of your joy would compel us to Go into love and to serve others um, because we have been first loved and served by you. Lord Jesus, we pray this all in your name. Amen.